Welcome to the Buddha Sushas Thabadin podcast. Join us for live recordings from classes, insightful talks, and guided meditations. Great, so a very warm welcome again. Um, yeah, as always, if it's your first time, I hope you had a good meditation with Dharmasara next door. Um, before I begin, I'd just like to uh, mention that we've got a festival day tomorrow, yeah? Sangha Fest, Sangha Day. Um, well, we'll kind of see what Sangha means, hopefully, a bit more by the end of this talk. But uh, it's basically, well, it's one of the most important aspects of Buddhism, yeah? It's the spiritual community, it's the kind of the community that the Buddha founded and that's been traveling through time to us here today, yeah? So that's tomorrow. So hopefully we'll go into that, what that means a bit later in this, yeah? But I wanted to start with a question, which is kind of something that I was talking about in the WhatsApp group, yeah? Uh, which is, if you kind of, well you don't have to, but if you closed your eyes, yeah, and you stopped for a moment, and you said the word Buddha, or you heard the word Buddha, what image would come to mind? Forget this dude here, but... <laughs> What what um, what qualities or image would come to mind? Sorry. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. You can you can share if you want. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> no. <laughs> Calm guy who responds to everything with a smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peace. Yeah. Hmm. Water. Oh, good. Water. A friend. Yeah. A really vibrant what tree? Green tree. Very good. Yeah. Really vibrant green tree. Radiating. Kind. What? Radiating. Radiating. <laughs> All right, good. So there's a few, there's all sorts of um, associations, yeah. And um, in a way, I think it's worth doing. It's worth kind of reflecting on, on, well, when you shut your eyes, we're reflecting on what comes to mind because it's obviously not the Buddha. It's our kind of idea about what a Buddha is, yeah, um, which tells us something about what we think Buddhism is, blah, blah, blah. But the real reason I wanted to ask in a way is because kind of depending on how you see the Buddha in your mind, yeah, if you have a kind of clear vision of the Buddha in your mind, depending on how you see the Buddha in your mind, that will inform you, that will dictate how you think this community should look like. Yeah? What you think Buddhists should be like, what you think the spiritual community should be like. And it seems like people have many different kind of ideas about I mean, not necessarily here, but in general, people have different ideas about who the Buddha is and therefore have different ideas about what the community should be like that he is the seed of, yeah, the founding seed of, yeah? And sometimes people have very different ideas, yeah? So that's what I wanted to look at a bit. <coughs> so some, it's a bit, okay, I'm going to caricature it a bit, but there, there is kind of how some people see the Buddha, or at least how the Buddha is kind of, appears in a garden center or an Ikea, yeah? There, there's loads of Buddhas now, you know, you go to 
Ikea, and you just want to rescue all these Buddhas. You think, oh, God, you know, what's going on here? And there's also these other strange Buddhas that obviously don't exist in the tradition uh, that have emerged, which are like these little sweet Buddhas, like relaxing. You think, mm, I'm not sure that's... Anyway, so, yeah, so how some people see the Buddha like... Um, He's got well-ironed well orange robes, yeah. He's got a nice top knot, maybe with a bit of gel and hairspray, looking very clean. Yeah, he's polite, probably. Yeah, he's nice. Um, civilised. Yeah, he's civilised. Kind of harmless, yeah. Um, understanding, relaxing, maybe. Sensible, probably, yeah. Moderate. Um, maybe a bit limp, yeah, I don't know. Maybe sitting on a big plastic... Uh, lotus flower, something like this, yeah. So that's kind of one, that is actually one version of the Buddha that springs to people's mind if they think about it. Or maybe I'm just caricaturing, I'll do it for fun, it doesn't matter either way. But there is a kind of alternate, well there's many different alternate versions or visions of the Buddha, yeah. And, um, well I've been away, I was on a solitary retreat for the past two weeks and this kind of alternate version, vision, of the Buddha is one that's been growing in my mind or was growing in my mind a lot over the past two weeks. And actually, I think it's a version that's been growing in my mind over the past years, probably since I got into Buddhism. It's probably the version or the vision of the Buddha, the version of the Buddha that I've found most inspiring over time. Um, and it's one mainly that I think I've come to know through the founder of this particular tradition, Sangharachita, uh, and other friends and teachers, and actually probably, I would imagine, all practicing Buddhists at a certain point, yeah? So, well, I'll, I'll tell you what that version is a, like a bit more in a minute, but it kind of arose for me on this retreat because, uh, well, after a night of terrors, you might call it, yeah? <laughs> so... I wasn't as exactly massively far away. I was in the mountains, like uh, not so far from Alicante. No electricity, yeah? And no humans, no human contact for a couple of weeks, just two weeks, but no humans, yeah? And darkness at night, yeah? Candles. Um, I didn't do a lot of meditation, actually. I couldn't really do a lot of meditation. So I ended up doing three rituals, pujas they're called a day, yeah, and chanting a lot of mantras, and it was a, a kind of, I don't know what you call it, a bit of an underworld journey for me, yeah, you, I don't know what it's like for other people, but if you're by yourself for a long period of time, you, for some people, you start having voices, don't you, different characters emerge, I start giving them names, yeah, and they were there, so we were all there, and it felt like a kind of, my psyche was beginning to loosen up, yeah, um, more of a multiplicity rather than a singularity, rather than just like singular tarapalata as if that exists. Just these multiple kind of aspects of one psyche, yeah? Um, so things loosen up. And I, I kind of was waiting, because it always happens to me on retreat, I normally get one night of terror, yeah? There'll be some kind of night where something happens in my psyche and the most innocent, innocent things start to terrorize me, yeah? And um, I could feel it happening and I thought, oh no, it was coming. And so I kind of went back into this hut. I kind of locked the door. There's no one there. It's not exactly, it's, it's fine. It's 21st century, it's safe, yeah. Um, in Spain, that is anyway, in this part of the world. And, but then I heard something on the roof, yeah. And it sounded like a monkey. And I thought, oh my God. <laughs> and like the fear just went, 
and it started, something started ripping something off the roof and then there was something else on the roof. I thought, this is too much now, yeah? Um, but then I remembered there's these creatures called pine martins. Yeah, I don't know if you know what they are. They're like little, they're like little bears. They're like little badger bear things, yeah? And they were going mad on the roof and then I kind of calmed down a bit. And then I went to bed and I had this dream that I was this kind of pig trying to get into this toilet and there's a person in the toilet trying to keep me out and I didn't want to go into the toilet but I couldn't stop myself and it was like it was actually like a nightmare right I woke up like <gasps> and then I remembered the Buddha yeah so <laughs> I thought I'm really I'm really scared here yeah that was my it sounds completely mad but I was like having this terrible nightmare and I thought oh yeah what did the Buddha say about fear so the Buddha before the Buddha was the Buddha, was in these dark forests yeah, in northern India, eight, two and a half thousand years ago, by himself, where there are dangerous things like tigers and snakes and bandits and ghosts and all kinds of things. Yeah? And he would just carry on doing what he was doing. So he would allow it to rise and he would allow it to pass. Yeah? If he was walking, he'd feel the fear rise and he'd just feel it pass. If he was lying down, he'd feel it rise and he'd feel it pass. Yeah, so he just, he watched it, he watched it come and go, and he didn't allow it to kind of alter his actions, yeah? So that's what I did <laughs> in my own little way. I was lying there, I was like, all right, just stay with it. And it kind of arose and it passed, yeah? And, um, yeah, so that brought to mind, in a way, uh, well, I brought the Buddha to mind for my own kind of sanity and my nervous system, yeah? But, um it brought the Buddha to mind in a different way, yeah? So it, it brought the Buddha to mind as this, this, this figure, like I say, two and a half thousand years ago, in these wild forests of northern India, yeah, alone. Um, no mod cons, nothing, yeah? Uh, like I say, all these sorts of wild animals that are actually scary, like tigers and snakes and all kind of strange creatures and people wandering around, yeah? And that was his life. And... Um, it's that version of the Buddha that I always find the most inspiring somehow, yeah? So I just wanted to read uh, a short bit from a book that a friend of mine wrote. He was a very good friend of mine. Um, probably my, one of my, well, one of my first um, Buddhist teachers. He died uh, a couple of weeks before I arrived in Berlin. And uh, yeah, I'll just write, read a bit from the beginning of his book, yeah? On a full moon night of terror and magic and transformation, a dark skeletal figure sits under a tree by a river. He is just bones and sinews, skin and rags, his face a bearded skull, his eyes like burning coals at the bottom of two dark pits, and he is totally alone. At first sight, he might seem to be just another piece of human wreckage thrown up in this place by a pitiless world, except that there is something lordly about him, an air of self-command and confidence, as if he knows precisely what he is doing and where he is going. Yet the truth of what occurs on that night is something that can never be explained. It is humanly inconceivable. And the next day, the man is no longer there. In his place is the awakened one, the compassionate one, the revealer of the way to the heart of the mystery of life. What he knows is eternally unknowable, 
though it is before us in every breath we take, he will be called the Buddha, though he will be seen by no one. He will teach for 50 years and he will not say a word. How shall we trace him then, the trackless one? Yeah, he's referencing um, uh, an older scripture the, when he says the trackless one, yeah? Yeah, so this, this, um, this alternate vision I find, found incredibly inspiring, yeah? Some, some, something kind of undiluted. Um, all these primal figures, these goats, you know, these, this, the kind of, maybe he's alone, maybe he's, well, he was alone, naked, maybe matted hair, dreadlocks, uh, meditating in the dark, in nature. Yeah, more like a shaman uh, than what we might come to necessarily think of the Buddha, usually, yeah? Yeah, so I think it's important to remember this Buddha, yeah? I don't know if it's, it's a Buddha that we're that familiar with when we think of the Buddha, but I think it's really important to remember this, you know? There's this, there's this element of wildness to this character, having overcome fear, able to journey in the underworld, yeah? All these kind of different realms of human mind and experience in the underworld. Um, to dwell with the gods, apparently, yeah? Gods of brilliant light, yeah? These, these different figures. And it's said if we met a Buddha, maybe he would appear to us as mad, yeah? Mm. Or a ghost, uh, or a child. Um, yeah, so when you're alone, you start to realize, I think, how it's kind of extraordinary, yeah? It's an ex I don't know, I find this figure extraordinary, this kind of blazing figure alone in a forest, yeah? Knower of worlds, liberated. Mm, no fear of life, no fear of death, yeah? He's done it. He's freed himself from everything that we are caged by and we don't want to be caged by. Gone, yeah? So, he sat alone in this kind of awakened state, this free state, uh, and apparently he had a thought about maybe I should communicate this, yeah? Maybe I should kind of communicate what I've discovered, but it was, he thought, it's just too subtle, yeah? It's too difficult. People will not get it. Um, people are obsessed with, can't help but think in terms of this and that, in terms of solid things as real things, yeah? Trapped about their worries and status and comparison. Group animals, yeah, basically. Yeah, not, not what Bhante would call a real individual. But then, and that's why I brought this picture, Maybe I'll just describe this picture instead of going over the whole story, yeah? So, he has this, you can come and have a look at it afterwards. You see it? <laughs> yeah? It's, this character here is called Brahma Sahampati, yeah? So, it doesn't matter how you want to take it. You can take it psychologically, literally, it doesn't matter, yeah? So, you have this God turns up when the Buddha's having this thought and um, says to the Buddha, no, there is, it is worth teaching because there are people with a bit of sensitivity about them, yeah? A bit of intelligence, with little dust in their eyes, and they will understand, yeah? And then the Buddha decides, yeah, I will, I will communicate. And he has this vision of us as humanity, as a pool of lotuses, yeah? So I really love this picture. It's by Arloka, yeah? Arloka's fantastic icon painter. Um, and so, yeah, the Buddha had a, uh, an image of us as lotuses, yeah? Some of us coming through the mud, some of us a bit further up in the water, some of us breaking through. Yeah, it's a really lovely um, 
It's a lovely vision of humanity, yeah? So the Buddha goes, the Buddha goes off and goes to look for his old friends, yeah, that he was with, his old ascetic friends. Um, and on the way there, funnily enough, he, the first person, which is quite interesting, that I think it's the first person that the Buddha meets. I might be wrong, maybe, maybe the second person. Either way, first or second, he bumps into this, this guy, yeah, and this guy comes across the Buddha, and he's so impressed with the Buddha, yeah, he's like, wow, look at this. I think in, in that period of uh, India's, uh, India's history, especially two and a half thousand years ago, well, actually in many parts of the world, spiritual issues um, and truth, philosophy was at the forefront of people's minds. Like for us, it's like iPhones and AI and all this. For them, it was to do with what you might call an inner journey, yeah? So this, people could recognize these things a bit more swiftly, I imagine. So this guy sees the Buddha yeah, and says to him, hmm, you look, kind of like you look good. Um, what are you? Are you a god? <laughs> He's like, no. He said, oh, so you're a man? No. Uh, a sort of spirit? No. And the Buddha says, I'm a Buddha. Yeah? A different category of all these things, fully awakened. And the guy kind of goes, oh, yeah, good for you, nice, and walks off. Just forgets about him, yeah, which is actually quite interesting to have that at the beginning of a tradition. It sort of points to the fact that we probably could well not recognize a Buddha if we saw one. We might think we would, but we probably wouldn't, yeah? Who knows? Anyway, so, over a couple of weeks he finds his friends and he teaches them, yeah? One by one he teaches them and uh, communicates with them, probably in a very unsym unsystematic way yeah it's much more direct raw experience you had this person who's freed themselves and he meets his other friends and I, you can just imagine these people with very vivid alive psyches yeah energy and serious about this stuff they've all been kind of looking for this whatever this is or looking for a state beyond suffering and here's this kind of their old friend who turns up and there's an interaction yeah so it's hard to say what that would look like but yeah, it certainly wouldn't be sitting there with a blackboard and sort of pointing things out. It'd be something much more direct, right? So it's impossible really to say uh, what a big thing this is. Yeah, it's a huge thing. It's a kind of crucial moment for Buddhism. And you could also say it's a crucial moment for world history. Yeah, I know that sounds like a huge thing to say, but it's true, isn't it, really, when you look at it? That enlightenment is not basically just a singular experience, like a one-off thing that happened to one person, it is actually something that can be communicated, well, the path can be communicated rather, yeah? And so in that moment, you could say a spark leapt across the darkness, yeah? And that's the real reason why we're all sitting here today. And there are spiritual ancestors, yeah? Um, and the beginning of a tradition, yeah? So I got interested as well recently in this whole business of traditions, yeah? Um, and you could say, uh, from the beginning, Buddhism has always been like a friendly invitation, yeah? It's always required, uh, I would say, yeah, it was, it's required curiosity and self-reflection from the people coming to it. Yeah? It can't be, it's never a thundering command from above, yeah? It just doesn't work like that, it can't work like that, yeah? So that's how this tradition spread, and we're part of that tradition. And, well, because it's Sangha Day tomorrow, Sangha... Uh, fest tomorrow. I thought it'd be good to have a look a bit at this business of tradition, yeah? Because the word tradition, again, is another one of those words. When you hear the word tradition, it conjures up all kinds of things in people's minds, yeah? All kind of, sometimes people have a very positive association with the word tradition. Sometimes 
I might be wrong, but maybe in a place like this, this part of Berlin, the word tradition is not so interesting. Uh, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, and I want to exp explore it via a quote that, well, I went to visit Arloka, who painted this, yeah, and he's an, he's an amazing character, yeah. He's actually a really important figure, not a very well-known figure, but a really important figure in, in, in modern Buddhism, yeah. Uh, it really is quite something. There's a very tiny number of icon painters in the world now, like, like real icon painters. I don't mean just people that replicate images. I mean people that actually go into the depths of their own practice and then produce an icon or an image that uh, is not new in a sense. Yeah, Maybe there's, there's, there's a kind of uh, a language of symbols that still exists, but in terms of its energy and its spirit, it's not just a reproduction of what's gone before. Yeah? So there's very, very few people that are doing that. And also, very few people that these days, unfortunately, have the technical skill to be able to pull it off. Like, I have quite a few friends of my generation or younger that have been to art school, and I asked a few of them, I don't know, I don't want to disrespect anyone who's been to art school, but I've, I've, I've asked them what they were taught technically, in a sense, and some of my friends say not much, actually. It was all very conceptual in terms of, like, so Arlok is one of those generations who spent the first, I think, year learning how to mix pigment. Yeah, how to try and figure out how to create different pigment and color. Yeah, then drawing, blah blah blah. So he c he can actualize these things in a very deep way. Yeah, and um, there's a place called Padmaloka, and he's basically painted icons for this whole shrine room. Yeah, and he keeps going. And uh, anyway, I went to see him and his house. He lives with his his wife Pad Padmajoti. They're they're such lovely people. Yeah, they're both artists. The house when you see. No, just if they're watching this anyway. But when when you see when you when you go into the house, it's a bit like how to say it. Let me frame this differently. When you see images of it from the outside, it looks stressful. <laughs> it looks like chaos. Like there's millions of images everywhere, things, paintings everywhere. When you actually go there, I was talking to Damasara. It's actually not stressful at all. It's complete opposite of stressful. It's uh, soothing, yeah. And they're just really inspiring people. Yeah, it's like a lovely. A lovely place to be, yeah. So it's it looks a bit like chaos, but it's coherent, yeah. Which is, I don't know, something about that I really like, yeah. And um, they're just they're lovely people. Anyway, I was in a studio, and he's always working. He's got this amazing studio. It's like a, it's a bit like a psychedelic trip. You go and there's just it's just full of things. There's like a whole wall of plastic toys, yeah. And I was like, why is there a whole these like miniature? And he's like, well, that's the best sculpture going right now, isn't it? It's like, you know, like he's really the whole kind of way they're crafted and produced and everything. Loads of amazing books. Um, and I put a picture of this one. He's got a number of quotes, but this one quote that he's got in his studio. Um, I should say he paints for himself, but he also paints Buddhist icons, yeah, to a very kind of astonishing level, yeah. But there's one quote in there from Gustav uh, Mahler. Yeah, the composer, which goes, tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the passing on of the fire. Yeah, and I really like that. Tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the passing on of the fire. Yeah. Uh, underneath, he's got a toy hanging with a chain, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is about this big, and <laughs> another quote which says, borders of disorder, which I don't know what that means. But So I just wanted to look at that, that quote, really, um, kind of in relation to our own tradition, yeah? So, tradition is not the worship of ashes, yeah? So ashes are kind of, wow, what are ashes? They're dead, aren't they? They're either something or someone 
who's reached the end of their existence in this world. And they're dust, yeah? They're dead. Um, and the thing with ashes, they're safe. Yeah? Ashes are safe, usually. They don't have their own life, yeah? They're not going to surprise you, although I... I remember my dad saying when he threw his mum's ashes in the sea, half of it went into his face and in his mouth. So that wasn't so, so safe, but, but it was safe. And that was unpredictable, but just getting away from my point, the point is they're not moving around by themselves. Yeah, they're kind of predictable. They're just like, and it makes us feel okay. You know, if we've got this dead thing to worship every day, it's safe. It doesn't move. It doesn't challenge us. It's just there. Yeah, we can rely on it. It's predictable. But generally, I guess you could say passive, yeah? Um, the passing on of the fire, yeah? So fire's not like that, is it? Fire's, well, what is fire like? Uh, any quick fire <laughs> answers? Dangerous. Dangerous, thank you. Anything else? Energetic. Energetic, so fire is dangerous, it's energetic. Unpredictable, for sure. Transform. Transform, yeah, it transforms things. Sorry? Live yeah, live moves, yeah. Painful. painful, yeah, that's true. Like soothing. soothing, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Useful. Useful, yeah. Any more? Last one? Yeah. Illuminate. Illuminate, very good. Good one to end on. <laughs> yeah? So we got all these things, these fantastic qualities that you could associate with the tradition, yeah? Um, yeah, it's kind of... and. In a way, that's what we're aiming for with, our, with our, all those kind of qualities. I thought, in a way, that's what you're aiming for when you step into a Buddhist tradition, yeah? All those things, including things like dangerous, yeah? Um, I have to say, I, I was remembering a couple of... I remember my granddad, yeah, he was great. He was, like a, he was, he was amazing, but he used to like burning rubbish at the, at the end of his garden, yeah? And I was, I don't know, I think I must have been about seven or eight, something. And I thought it's quite irresponsible, but maybe it's a kind of granddad thing to do. He had a like, can of petrol and he'd like throw petrol on it every now and then. Yeah. And one day he threw a bit too much and it burnt his whole shed down. <laughs> so that was one thing. Oh, yeah, that's, that's fire. And then um, a bit random, but I remember my dad, we had this gas cooker and he was trying to turn it on. And then a, a whole thing of fire came out and blew his eyebrows off. And I just sat, burst out laughing. I was like, Anyway, that is completely irrelevant, but it made me think of fire. So, enough of that. Passing on the fire, yeah? So, um, well, it's a bit like when you engage with uh, a sangha, uh, a tradition, they're, they're hopefully all the things you'll find in it, yeah? Something with some kind of energy, um, hopefully something with a touch of magic to it, yeah? Something alive, unpredictable, uh, energetic, illuminating, yeah? Something on the move. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important, yeah. I mean, I just want to say, in a way, the whole dangerous thing, in a sort of sense, it is a bit dangerous getting involved in a tradition because it can kind of turn your life upside down, yeah. It can definitely alter the course of your life, and that's just what will happen. So, um, yeah. But I just wanted, there was, there was a couple of talking about. Uh, all this stuff. I got interested again in, well, Sangharach, the founder of this order uh, and movement, he had quite an interesting few things to say on community, spiritual community, because, um, how to say it? 
it's not always easy to see what's going on yeah, in a community. So he had this whole thing about these, I think it was like three different levels, yeah? So he called it like the negative group, the positive group, and then the Sangha, the spiritual community. Yeah? And I find it a really helpful teaching, yeah? So, and I've been involved with all three of them, yeah? And unfortunately probably will be involved, well, in the negative things, the good things, and the, what you might call a spiritual community, yeah? And so in a way, a community like this can be those different things at different times, yeah? So the negative group, what's that? It's a bit um, cult-like, a bit culty. It's kind of in-groups and out-groups. Yeah, you can get into that sometimes. Um, kind of excessive gossip, yeah? Crit Over-criticizing each other, for their own good, obviously. Um, you know, um, what else? A negative group can be passive, yeah? Just like treading water. Negative group can be kind of very institutional. You're just reinforcing each other's opinions all the time. Uh, legalistic even, yeah? Um, or it can just be messy, nobody helps, and it just sort of disintegrates, yeah? So that's what we might call a negative group. Yeah, and sometimes we can slide into that, yeah, it happens. Positive group, well, what's that? It's something dynamic, yeah? Uh, supportive, um, understanding, encouraging, friendly, energetic, yeah? And we, I think on the, on the whole, we're definitely pretty good at that here, yeah, I would say. And there's loads of places that I've experienced a positive group at. I was thinking about my old boxing club in West London. Yeah, they were, that was a positive group. Um, people involved in yoga, art circles. There's all kind of interesting places where we find a group of people that we feel really supported by, yeah? And they're our friends, we support them. It's such an important thing, yeah? 100% not to be underestimated. It's like a positive group is kind of life. It's like a lifeline, isn't it? You need people, a community of people that you kind of care about and they care about you and you're both, you're all involved in something that you're passionate about, yeah? That's really important. So in a way then, you've got these two uh, communities. Well, one, one's not really a community. You've got a negative group and a positive group, yeah? So what's this third thing, this Sangha, yeah? What, what really is the difference then between a Sangha and a positive group, yeah? Um, Sangha kind of means, well, Sangha means spiritual community, yeah? So in a way, you could say a Sangha is, you have all the elements of a positive group, but then you have something else, yeah? And it's very, in a way, it's quite difficult to say what that, that extra thing is, but you can experience it. For example, if you're practicing at depth, yeah, you're really trying to become more and more aware in your own mind and your psyche, you're meditating with other people, yeah? You're engaged in rituals, you're working together, communicating. Sometimes something comes into the mix where you just feel like, wow, this is, uh, this is something different. It's not, quote unquote, just a positive group. And I don't want to run down positive because positive groups, we need more and more of them, yeah? They're incredibly important in the world, but a Sangha, it is slightly different, yeah? It kind of comes to life when you and the people we, you're practicing with are diligently observing your own mental states on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. You know, you, there's, there's a kind of deeper, leveling, deeper level of understanding with each other, yeah, hopefully. You're studying, yeah? You're kind of trying to look into the nature of what's actually going on existentially in, in, in this world, yeah? And you're doing that collectively and something arises within that, yeah? So, um, 
there's a kind of collective depth of love, you might say, yeah, and trust. Sometimes it's an aspiration, yeah. You might be in a positive group, you're all having fun and da 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 da, doing great stuff together. And then it just can, can slide into this other thing, yeah, which is really beautiful. In my life, it's probably been my most beautiful experiences on this planet, is just sliding imperceptibly into this state where something's just in the mix which isn't normally there yeah kind of calm beauty maybe energy whatever but something something like this and um yeah well maybe if you t if you think of the uh, sangha the tradition in terms of fire yeah it's something beautiful it's actually something powerful not in a kind of match of oh, power but it is something powerful it has a it has a definite um charge beyond what is obvious to it yeah on one level you just think oh, there's a bunch of people sitting around perhaps talking maybe they're a bit quiet maybe they're meditating not much is happening here but actually it has a real resonance it, something comes off the back of that yeah um yeah and i think i think it can be like that here it can be like that here sometimes on saturday mornings it can be like that friday evenings it can be like that when people are working together it can be like that all sorts of times yeah so um yeah Anyway, that's, that was kind of mainly what I wanted to talk, uh, talk about. Um, yeah, maybe I'll just finish by saying, it's a bit of a random leap, but I'll finish by saying, if you haven't been to the Humboldt Forum then, and seen the, the, the Buddhist section there, I think it's well worth going because there's all these kind of artifacts here. Yeah? I mean, I think Germans are very good at like stealing wholesale, these enormous things like <laughs> caves and like, in Britain they sort of fumbled it a bit. They just nicked a few bits and bobs, but they were a bit more systematic. So there's like a whole cave in there, yeah? And you see all these extraordinary um, objects and paintings where you, some of them you look at and you're like, that is definitely the passing on of the fire, yeah? That someone has, someone has really been deep in this thing and created this object that survived unbelievably through thousands of years. And it gives you a sense also of, oh, right, this is, what's, this is kind of what we're doing here. We're kind of carrying on this kind of thing, yeah? Um, and you, if you notice, some, some of the images there are more alive than others, yeah? Some of them are a little bit formulaic, and some of them definitely seem like they've got life coming from their own side, yeah? So I would definitely recommend going there. And uh, it's a bit of a rambly talk thing, but I just thought I'd finish with reading that quote from my friend again, just because, because I love him and why not? And there's a tiny little bit extra, yeah. On a full moon night of terror and magic and transformation, a dark skeletal figure sits under a tree by a river. He is just bones and sinews, skin and rags, his face a bearded skull, his eyes like burning coals at the bottom of two dark pits, and he is totally alone. At first sight, he might seem to be just another piece of human wreckage thrown up in this place by a pitiless world, except that there is something lordly about him, an air of self-command and confidence, as if he knows precisely what he is doing and where he is going. Yet the truth of what occurs on that night is something that can never be explained. It is humanly inconceivable, and the next day the man is no longer there. In his place is the awakened one, the compassionate one, the revealer of the way to the heart of the mystery of life, 
What he knows is eternally unknowable, though it is before us in every breath we take. He will be called the Buddha, though he will be seen by no one. He will teach for 50 years, and he will not say a word. How shall we trace him then, the trackless one? No one who saw the gaunt, ragged figure sitting motionless day and night would have seen anything out of the ordinary. Meditating ascetics were not an unusual sight in northern India in the 5th century BCE any more than they are today. Yet we have all seen images of this particular man sitting cross-legged, eyes lowered during those days and nights. There is a decisive energy in the unshakable poise of his posture, ineffable wisdom and fathomless compassion in his half-smile. This image remains two and a half thousand years later, the archetypal symbol of the spiritual quest. Where nothing seems to make sense anymore, it is his face that looks out at us with the assurance that there is another way. Thank you. Thank you.